Here's a look at what's coming up next on Contemplate. People choose to oppose Jesus Christ. That's their choice. Your responsibility, scripturally, is clear. You're to love them either way and all the more as Christ loved you. That's your responsibility. When Peter was used by God to heal a man who was lame from birth, the Jewish leaders freaked out. They just couldn't handle the truth about Jesus. Let's find out more. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22 is the place to be in your Bible. And here's Pastor David Robinson with today's lesson, recorded live at Acts Church. So let's go over a couple points from this passage and see if we can sort of figure out what went on here and why it went on and sort of relate it to what we're doing today, what we're living with today. So let's talk about proof and evidence first. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fulfilling of prophecy and the evidence of miracles is so very prominent in the teaching of the apostles as we see here, as we'll see as we continue. These types of miracles are very prominent because... They're life-changing for the people who see them. Because when people see the power of God at work, they tend to, many of them tend to, submit to God. They tend to do that. So they're a very, they're a very important thing. The Sanhedrin chose to deny this miracle. But the point I want you to get here is that even after proof, proof, we see here in the passage it was clear, was proven, there was no change in the hearts of the Sanhedrin regardless of what had been proven to them. They denied it anyway. They denied that it was a miracle because they did not want the implications of that truth. So evidence is never the real issue for those who oppose Christianity. Now, let me, let me qualify that. There are those who haven't looked into the evidence yet. For those people, maybe it is because they've heard from somebody else that there's an evidence issue. But for those who truly look at the evidence of Christianity, evidence is not the issue that keeps people from Jesus. It's a spiritual issue. Even for those who don't believe there's such thing as a spiritual realm, it's still a spiritual issue that keeps them from believing in Jesus. It's something else that they want more. So they won't listen to the evidence. This is still the case today, okay? The resurrection of Jesus is an incredibly well-attested fact. We've gone over that. It's a historical fact. It's the center of Christianity. It is just, it is just the, the very foundation of our faith that Jesus rose from the dead, and therefore we will rise again, and we will be with him in heaven. Okay. The, the, the evidence for Christianity is very clear. It was very clear to these guys, to these guys in the Sanhedrin. They knew God had worked. These guys told them by what power God had worked, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They rejected it anyway. They rejected it anyway. If you want evidence, miracles are pretty good. They're pretty good evidence. Because apologetics, which is basically the defense of the Christian faith, when we argue intellectually, when we argue philosophically, that's, that's worthwhile for some things, but there's nothing like the Holy Spirit to give real evidence, right? If you want evidence, the kind of evidence that you can sink your teeth into, not arguments, because look, arguments breed arguments, and things start to get complicated. And if you can talk enough, you can muddy the issue up. Trust me, I'm a lawyer. I'm telling you, if you talk enough uh, with arguments, you can start to make it difficult for anyone to make sense of them all. But you can't say anything against a miracle. 
There were 71 guys that were the smartest guys around. If Peter and John had come out without a guy standing who used to be lame and just made an argument, trust me when I tell you, these guys would have muddied the issue, confused the issue, argued enough to make it whatever. But because of the miracle, there was nothing they could say. That's the thing. You look around this church, take guys like uh, my brother Lyle, who's struggling with cancer, and who through that has become stronger in the Lord, has been been a source of encouragement to others while he's suffering. You take the people who have been sick and been healed. You take the people who have struggled financially, who have struggled in their marriage. You take the people who have had to exercise faith to do what God has called them to do. And you see, time and time and time again, ask any Christian in this room who's been walking with the Lord very long what the Holy Spirit has done. What evidence have they seen of God in their life? And you'll hear all kinds of miracles. You'll hear all kinds of miracles. You can't base what you see of, of people in the church on what you see today. You have to base it on what it used to be if you want to see the miracle. Someone came to me and say, so-and-so, you know, what kind of church are you running? So-and-so, I saw his Facebook page and he had the D word on there, you know. And I'd say, oh, really, the D word? That's awesome. Three months ago, he had like 15 F words on there. So you've got to see, my point is you've got to see where they came from, Right? That's a miracle. Look what the Lord's doing. Right? You've got to see where you came from. See, I'm a miracle. Okay? I wasn't lame in the sense that I couldn't walk. But I was worthless. Okay? Defiled. I was selfish. I was, I was evil. And the Lord came and he changed my heart. That's a miracle. Okay? And if you want to have it proven, all you need to do is go talk to anybody who knew me 20 years ago. Okay? And you will see the miracle that God has done. It hasn't been something I've done through self-will or self-discipline by my own self that I'm now not having the same habits of life and mind that I did then. It's the Holy Spirit working in me. Miracles are effective evidence. Now, let's talk about one more point. A very kind of the central part of this passage in my mind is the point at which Peter and John make the statement that they need to follow God rather than man. They've got to follow God rather than man. And the Sanhedrin was the authority, okay? Properly constituted authority in their land. These were the people who were in charge of them. But Peter and John were saying, listen, you're not the real authority when you speak against what God has called us to do. Now, we have this same issue that goes on today, right? We have this same issue. Peter and John are saying to these guys, listen, the question is right and wrong. Threaten away. Threaten away, but we're going to do what's right. We're going to do what's right. We're going to obey God rather than you. And in our society today, we have a similar thing. There's a lot of issues that exist right now, moral issues, issues that God has spoken clearly on, and we go into society who has developed a much different opinion about what's right and wrong than what God has told us, than what God has shown us through nature. And we go to them and we say, should we follow God or should we follow you? And here's what they say now. You should follow us. There is no God. There is no God. Or, even better, no, 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 God's okay with it now. I've realized with enough study that uh, you know, God somehow turned out to be just like me. Right? Somehow, God has all the same, you know, moral uh, beliefs that I do, 
which is really convenient for me. You know, but that's a very dangerous game to play. That's a very dangerous game to play because what you're really doing, what's really happening there, and this I'm addressing specifically those who are in the church who have decided that God has all of a sudden said something different than he's always said, have decided that nature somehow is now different than it's always been. Okay, For those people, they're playing a very dangerous game because they want God. They, they don't want to lose this thing, but they also want to be in the cool club. They want to be in the inner ring. They want to be able to please both God and man. But what we see here from this passage is you can't. You can't do both. You've got to obey one or you've got to obey the other. It's a very dangerous game to play when you try to make our holy God in your own image. Because you're made in his image. Whether you like it or not, you are subject to the nature that he laid down, to the rules that he laid down. They're not rules to harm you. They're rules to help you. They may be difficult to follow sometimes. You may prefer not to. But you can't change God because you can't change nature. You can't change the natural law. You can't change any of these things. It's impossible to do. Only he can change you if you'll allow him to. Okay? If we start to change God into our image, we're just what we're really doing is we're making ourselves God. If you really want some background on this, go to Romans 1, start at about verse 18 and read through that and tell me if that is not a commentary on what's happening today. Okay? And I'll let you do that on your own time. But uh, this, was, this is the sin that Lucifer, that Satan did. I can be God. I can be God. I can make the rules. That's what we do when we decide that God has changed his mind about those things which we've always known are true. Here's the thing. When we go against society, whether they're the ones that change God's rules to make the new morality work, or whether they're the ones who don't believe there's a God, and therefore I don't even know what they base their morality on other than their own whims, right? Whatever the case is, they'll tell you when you stand up for what's true, and when you speak the truth, they'll tell you a couple things. They'll tell you it's hate speech, and they'll tell you that you're on the wrong side of history. I'm going to tell you something, and, and, and I want you to listen. I want to be very clear. We are not on the wrong side of history. Those who stand for truth are not on the wrong side of history, okay? When people say that, what they're admitting is that they don't have an argument based on reason, so they're going to appeal to emotion and cliches to try to shame you out of believing what's true. It's an example of a very misguided faith, blind faith, in a very misguided new morality that doesn't exist and never has existed and never will exist. It's broken and it will not work. Okay, There's only one side of history. That's God's side of history. At the end of the day, being on the right side is being with God and doing what's right. Okay, can't change him. You can't change him. If you want to be rational, you've got to look at all the facts, including facts about morality. You cannot, as society, decide that you're only going to look at certain facts which fit into your little shoebox, which helps get you the result that you want. You've got to look at all the facts, everything that's true for all time in all society, everywhere in the whole world, in order to come up with what God has told us to do. Of course, if you want to do the easy way, you can look in here. Or you can do it the hard way, and you can look at nature, but they both give the same answer, which is very convenient for God. Opposition to Jesus Christ is opposition to good, period. No matter what anybody tells you, it is opposition to good. God is always doing 
good. Here's, here's what Jesus calls you to, okay? Recognize the problem, and then he provides healing for it. The other side, those who oppose Jesus say, ignore the problem and continue, double down, and go into it more. And I promise at the end of this thing, you'll be just fine. Okay? I'm going to trust God on that issue. We've got to speak the truth. We've got to speak it in love. Okay? We've got to speak the truth in love. And to speak the truth in love is love. It is loving. To not stand up and speak the truth, to not do what God has called you to do, is unloving. It's unloving. Somebody's yelling at you and they're telling you that you're on the wrong side of history and they're telling you that you have hate speech and whatever. Regardless of their rhetoric, you have to speak the truth. You have to speak the truth because that's the loving thing to do. And it, I'm not saying that we should be offensive for the sake of being offensive. I'm asking you to speak the truth in love and understand that all the love and kindness and grace in the world in your speech will still not ever convince those who oppose Christ. It doesn't matter how kind you are. You should be kind, but it does not matter how kind you are. Those who oppose Christ will always oppose him. It's not you that they're opposing. It's Christ in you. They hate him, not you. This is what he tells us in John 15, verse 18 through 21. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. That's a dangerous thing. If you're loved by the world, you might want to check yourself. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. We have to choose. We have to choose, particularly today, but it's always been the case from the beginning of time. You're going to choose Christ, you're going to choose them. You're going to choose Christ, or you're going to choose those who oppose him. One of those gives you some temporary fun, acceptance. You can be in the inner ring. You can be one of the cool people. The other one gives you eternal life. To me, it's not a difficult choice, but it's difficult to execute. Look, this is big people stuff, okay? This is tough stuff. This is real life. Choosing God over others is real life, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Let me just, a couple of issues. As we make ourselves strong, allow the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to speak the truth through us, there's a couple of things that we run into from time to time that I'm going to mention. This is not, when you're speaking the truth in love, you should not be sounding like a jerk. Okay, It does not mean that you can say whatever you want in whatever manner you want to whoever you want because technically what you're saying is true. It doesn't mean that you can say it however you want to say it and then say something like, well, I, you know, I talk that way because I'm sick and tired of being PC. You know, Look, I understand PC can get out of hand, but sometimes PC is just loving. Sometimes PC is just being kind. You're not being PC to be PC, but they're not completely wrong. There's a time and a place to address people and to treat people in love, right? We're not called to immediately meet people and because they disagree with us on some moral issue that we're to judge them, think of ourselves as better than them. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to engage, but we're not supposed to be jerks. So let's, let's just be very clear about that. 
For those who it seems like they think Christianity is a team that you can join that happens to struggle with different sins than other people, and so we join this team where we get to kind of put ourselves above these other people who sin differently than us, you've gone far wrong if that's what you think Christianity is. Christianity is a place where we love those who were just like us before we found Christ. So as you deal with this and speak the truth in love, I'm not preaching a sermon telling you that you should get on Facebook and start making provocative comments on every article that comes down about bathroom laws. Okay, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about engaging culture, doing what God has called you to do. Okay, Stop doing that other stuff. That's not representing Christ. Stop doing that stuff where you just be difficult to be difficult. That doesn't mean I want you for one second to stop telling the truth. I just want you to think about the manner in which you do it. Okay, If people choose to oppose Jesus Christ, that's their choice. Your responsibility, scripturally, is clear. You're to love them either way, and all the more, as Christ loved you. That's your responsibility. You have to decide what's more important to you, your relationship with them or your relationship with Christ, as to what you say is true and what you stand for. But you have to love other people. So you might ask yourself this question. So Peter and John are here, and they say, we're going to disobey the authorities. We're going to do what we want to do. So the question is, when are you allowed to do that? When are you allowed to say, God said it, I've got to do that instead of following the authorities? Right? Some of you are like, man, maybe I can stop paying taxes. Um, here's the deal. I don't recommend that. Um, as your attorney, I would say, <laughs> pay your taxes. Okay? Here's the thing. You disobey when God has clearly called you to do so. In this case, it's a no-brainer. Jesus has told these people personally, you're going to preach in my name. You're going to go make disciples. So Peter and John have a clear command from God directly, from Jesus, saying, you've got to go preach in my name. So it's very clear for them to say, when somebody else says, don't do that, that's not of God, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. That doesn't mean you get to disobey the authorities every time that there's an issue that maybe you fall on one side of rather than the other of. When it comes to an issue of personal conscience and the Holy Spirit is making it clear to you that for you to do any particular action would be evil, would be wrong would be an improper cooperation with evil, at that point, you can say no. Because he has called you to make disciples. So if they make it illegal to make disciples of Christ, you make disciples of Christ still, just like they did. Also, he said, you must teach them to obey all that I have commanded. So if they make it illegal to speak out about the truth, you disobey. You disobey outright. Because God's called you to do that. Okay, But if you're going to disobey... You've got to be willing to accept the consequences. Socially, could be your friends, could be the people at work, could be your family, could be I don't know. But if you stick your whole life to what's true, you will have consequences. People will reject you. They rejected Jesus. They will hate you because they hate Jesus. It will happen. As far as the political powers to be, the government, I don't know where we're going. I don't know. It doesn't look good right now. I mean... You know, if I was to guess, I'd say you're on a clock at this point in your ability to say what you want to say, in my ability to stand up here and say what I'm saying right now. I would say we're on a clock. But you know what? We've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to accept the consequences. Peter and John were. They were standing there in front of the guys that had asked for the crucifixion of Jesus 
talking about Jesus and telling these guys that they were bad and they had crucified him. They knew the stakes. They knew what could have happened to them, and they were willing to do it anyway because they were following God. We're going to have to be the same way in our society in little ways and in big ways. Okay. At the end of the day, the Sanhedrin was just another in a very long line of people who have tried to stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just one among many. Their disciples still exist, just as Jesus' disciples still exist. And here's the thing. They keep trying to stop it, but it cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. Christianity has been forecast to die so many times. It's just a joke. And yet here we sit. Here we sit, following Christ 2,000 years later with all the people, powerful people, who have done everything they can to eradicate the gospel. In fact, in those places where they exert the most power against it, that's where the gospel grows the fastest. So as we look at society and as we see that society is coming stronger and stronger against the things of God, against his moral law, and because they're against his moral law, they're against him, the more that they will try to push it out, I hate to tell you, but the more the church will grow the more the church will grow. They had two guys here, and they preached the name of Jesus. These guys put him in prison, and the church goes up by about a couple thousand people, just like that. Why? Because it became very clear, because of the opposition, opposition to a miracle that these people all saw, that what had happened was real. That will continue to be the place. You cannot stop the gospel. Jesus will not allow it. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. Okay, He loved you first. He proved it. He died for your sins. God did that in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Died for your sins. All you've got to do is love him back. He did all the work. All you've got to do is love him back. That's all he's asking you to do. If you choose the world instead of God, you may get acceptance for a very small portion of time. But that acceptance over time will be dust and ashes and gravel in your mouth. And eventually, eternally, you're going to have some big problems. But if you accept God and his way, you may have a difficult time with some people now. But you have me and you have every person hopefully sitting in this room who's going to support you and who's going to be by your side, regardless of what society thinks. You will have a remnant of those who will support you. And at the end, eternal life. It's not a tough choice. We're going to take communion here. And the tables are in the back of the room. And, and it's, it's something we as Christians do. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, just don't worry about it. Um, you don't need to take it. This is a time when we remember what Christ has done for us. When we remember the power of his blood. The power that has healed this man that we've been reading about. The power that has healed this man that's standing in front of you. This is the time that we do that. Remember his body and blood. There's also a prayer room. If you go out these doors and just go right down here, it's going to be the first door on your left in this hall down here. It's just a place where if you're feeling that the Lord is calling you to spend some time with him, you can head out there, either take communion first or go, or go skip communion today and go pray. Either way, it's fine. There should be some people back there who will pray with you if you want them to. If you don't want them to, just tell them that, and just, and just it's a place where you can pray. Listen, we're going to be a church that preaches the word of God. I can tell you this, okay? 
I would love to fill this place from wall to wall with people because I believe that we seek truth and that we teach truth. And I believe that it's good for people. Okay? But I will not go against God and preach some tickly ear gospel and pretend like things that are wrong are right to fill this room so that we can all be lukewarm, worthless Christians who do nothing for the kingdom of God, but we've got lots of company. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, here on Contemplate. Truth is, there are a lot of places that do teach all kinds of things just to get people in the seats and feeling good. But those things aren't always the truth of God's Word. And if that kind of absolute truth is what you want in your life, let me invite you to Axe Church this Sunday morning. Get easy directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Hope to see you this Sunday. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.